If you're in the practice, whether you own a percent of that practice or not, if you are the new doctor, you make it your practice. You pretend like it is yours or you act like it is yours. You want it to grow like it's yours. You treat the patients like they're yours because they are your patients. This, this, this is the Orthopreneur Show with Glenn Krieger talking about the things you never learned in school like marketing, management, and leadership. Hey there, everybody. It's Dr. Glenn Krieger here with another episode of the Orthopreneur's Podcast. Today, we've got a true rock star, uh, a two-time returning champion, uh, Dr. Trevor Nichols. Welcome. Thank you, Glenn. I'm so excited to be here. So grateful to you and the, the ortho community, orthopreneurs, and all the things that you're doing. I just respect you so much, and I'm so grateful to be here, Glenn. Thank you. Well, likewise, my friend. You know, I've had the opportunity to come to the office a couple of times, and uh, I was there when Stu Frost was the only doctor there, and I was there when you were there. And the addition you bring to that office, um, you know, it's true. One plus one equals three. And uh, the, the, we'll talk more about that a little bit later. But thank you. Um, I'm honored to have you as a friend and a colleague. And uh, the last time we did this uh, was before the 2020 COVID Virtual Orthopreneur Summit. Not that there's enough adjectives in that sentence. Uh, <laughs> But um, that was resident to rock star or something like that, right? Yep, that's right. And gosh, thank goodness we're not still there, right? Thank goodness we can meet oh in person gosh. now and see each other again. I'm, I'm grateful to be past that. Yeah, it's so great we're meeting in person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's awesome. This is oh, the greatest, man. You, I'm loving love this. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I know that's not what you meant, but I, I just couldn't help myself because here we are virtually. Um and we, you know, Trevor and I discussed that today we're going to get really vulnerable. We're going to talk about a lot of the things that maybe you don't know uh, about him or about me. And and so um, let's start with your mother. No. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> let's start back. with your childhood. Let's go back to your childhood <laughs> and that time that bully was beating you up. Oh and, man! You know, you want to get on the couch and sit back. We're going to go deep here. But um, but you know, I think one of the the great places we can start is that one of the things that really impresses me the most about you. Um, and there are a lot of things, and I just don't say that. Uh, it's genuine. One of the things that really impresses me the most about you is, and, and again, I'm going to be totally honest here because I think it's important. When I came to the office the first time after you started working with Stu, Stu Frost, for those out there who may not know, you were there teaching. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, who's this dude who's like fresh out of ortho residency and he's trying to teach me how to do ortho. And then by the end of the day, I'm like, how'd you do that again? Like, what did you do? How did you bend that wire for that final smile? What light, what, you know, what topical are you using again? And granted, a lot of that sort of came down from one generation to another. Absolutely. But, but you're such an amazing student and you're, you're an even better teacher. Um, talk to me a little bit about your history. Did you have any history of ever being a teacher? in dental school, in residency, in Sunday school, do you, or did it just come naturally to you? I have some history there, but I do think that a lot of that comes naturally to me just because I love to connect with people and I love to give knowledge, give things, secrets maybe that some people aren't willing to share that I think sometimes is a little ridiculous. And I think, gosh, we all just want to be better. And if there's anything that I can share, and, and I have to first off say that, you know, in that role, even early on, it was very humbling for me and it was difficult, you know, to be in that in scenario when I knew that there were heroes of mine like you and other orthodontists in the crowd or in the, you know, that course that 
I'm, you know, trying to relay some things. And, and a lot of that, you're right, was from dissemination from Stu and just trying to be the voice uh, of him and through the clinical messages to get that there. But uh, I had experienced young as, uh, you know, church uh, leadership, you know, from when I was about 11 or 12 and uh, did that growing up. And then in high school, I had some opportunities to do some leadership within the school and community. And then, yes, in dental school, you know, I was uh, class president and did that and, you know, kind of residency, similar things. But I think most of it just comes from me being similar to you, Glenn, and just wanting to connect with people and share knowledge and be connected and just help everybody get better because we all just want to be better. And, and you and I talked about this a little bit before. It's, uh, you know, we all fight our, our battles internally, you know, when it comes to trying to be the best we can. And some days we feel like a rock star and other days we don't. And I think it just helps for us to lean and love on one another and have those relationships where we can be each other's cheerleaders. Right. And the more that we do that, the more we have the support in the community. And I think that our community in Ortho, and you've done a great job to connect people to that, but I just think we need more of it. And, and we need more of it. We need to stop fighting against one another, whether it be treatment philosophies or not, and just band together as a profession, as brothers and sisters, and, and trying to do the best that we can. And I love that you've helped people do that. Well, thanks, brother. Yeah, and there's so much good wisdom in what you just said. There's so many places I want to dive into. And one of the things I want to go into right now, um, there's two or three things in that sentence, but I just want to make a commentary, which is you talked about teaching the secrets, teaching what's going on. What's really funny is, right, we talk about abundance mentality, yeah. uh, right? And I think people throw that word around a lot and don't really believe it sometimes. And I mean, in your practice, the go-giver is like the essence of the culture, right? That's yeah. a book that mm -hmm. was referenced by... Stuart, you know, back when I come visit, you know, he, he makes sure everybody on the team got a copy of the Go-Giver. He makes sure, you know, Brad and Chase and everybody had, you know, a copy of the Go-Giver because yep. it's such an important book. And I think that embodies who you are. It embodies who, who Stu is. It embodies who I am. Like you just give, 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 give and do the best you can and good stuff will come back to you. But what's really interesting is, and I'd love your feedback on this. What's interesting to me is I could get on stage and I could say, Hey, everybody, Put down your pencils for a second. Put down your iPads for a second. I'm going to tell you the secret right here. One thing, if you do it, you will have a $5 million practice with a 10% overhead and you'll never have to work again after age 40. And Ready like for two, it, Glenn. And like 2% <laughs> of the people will actually implement it. Right? Sad. And, and, and again, there's a whole, I'm sure, neuropsychology about why that's the yeah. case. Yeah. Um, and we're going to talk more about that later when we talk about fitness and yeah. uh, achieving for our practices. But do you find the same thing that sometimes you'll give a secret or a tip or talk about it and you just know that there's something about it that people are just not going to implement it? Yeah, I think that some aren't ready fully, you know, and when I try and, and, and give um, some of that information, for me, it's just trying to give them what they need or what they're looking for. And I try and make it as little about me as possible because I truly believe that we're all capable of greatness in orthodontics. And some people that greatness is different. Some people care about different things, you know, and we have each our own brand and we need to find out what that brand is. And we talk about that before you and I with, you know, Krieger smiles and frost smiles and all those things. And yeah. I think some people just aren't quite ready. They're in their own journey and it doesn't really frustrate me. I just, I hope to be there for them as a resource if, and when they're ready and if the time is now and they want to take those things and listen, then I'm there to help them and give them anything they want. And if they're not there in their journey, hopefully they'll remember something that I said and they can ask me, you know, a year or two years later 
and they can come back and say, Hey, I remember you talking about this thing and I wasn't ready at the time. And now I am. And can you help me? And I'll say, heck yeah, let's do it. I love that answer. And you, you touched earlier also on the idea of like, you know, let's support one another, which I always feel from you. And I always try to give it back as much as I can to you in return. Nobody can be as supportive as you are. Oh. You're like, you're like the rock star of support for people. Um, but you know, I do think in the Facebook groups over the last year, year and a half, for the most part, I think they've gotten much more mature, right? Agreed. I think, yeah. I think when they, like, if you go back way back, there were groups that predated orthopreneurs and orthopearls and all those other things. And then after sort of a reshuffling around 2017, and a few groups sort of grew out of that, in that immaturity, there was so much cantankerous arguments for no good reason other than people sort of like staking their territory. And, and there was a lot of um, unfounded hatred for certain people here and there. Like there are people out there who I know hate my guts and who I've, who I've never spent a cup of coffee with. And, you know, there's the one side of the Gary Vaynerchuk world where, you know, somebody will say, well, if you don't have people who hate you, you're not working hard enough, right? <laughs> and mm -hmm. I'm okay with that. But at the same time, if you really have love in your heart, you really want to help people understand that there doesn't need to be hatred, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And more importantly, we can let go of our egos. And I'll debate a lot with people, right? I Because I was raised in a school of thought in Judaic studies where you're supposed to question everything. You never accept anything as gospel. You you have a healthy repartee because there's no personality involved in that. And that we can, we can debate. We're not arguing. We can debate back and forth on the facts and still love each other. That's right. And but again, I think a lot of people don't necessarily understand that. And I my hope is that people, you know, like you said, there's less hate. I hope that we can learn to let go of our egos even more. Yeah. And I don't what do you think the reason is why people are so, people don't argue so much about practice management? You know, like what's your recall system for growth checks? Like you're not going to get into a big argument. You know, how much do you pay your assistants? You know, there's not going to be. But all of a sudden I say, look, what's your favorite class to corrector? Yeah. And like. All of a sudden, like the talons come out and people attack each other. Why do you suppose that clinical philosophies create such incredible emotion in people? I think some of it is just it's ingrained in people and they take offense like they're doing something wrong if they don't use the same thing. It's it's almost like religion or politics, you know? Yeah. And unfortunately, ortho is that way in some ways. It's, you know, do you use passive self-ligation or are you you traditional brackets or you do aligners and it's like everybody has their own feeling and religion or, or politics around orthodontics sometimes. And with that passion, sometimes comes some pride or ego, as you've mentioned, and sometimes some closed mindedness. And, and I, you know, I hate to think that, but I think that that was the case. And I agree with you that I think people are becoming more open. And I think COVID actually helped inspire some more open mindedness from some more clinicians to say, okay, well, times are changing. We need to be adaptive. And it's time to open my mind a little bit to think about what it is that I could be doing different in my practice. But I think what it stems from is, you know, people, they, they have their philosophies and their ways of doing things and having someone uh, do something different, I think sometimes makes them feel a little insecure or maybe that they're not doing things as best as they could be. And so they retaliate maybe a little bit yeah. with their own ideas and thinking just as religion and politics. Yeah. And I want to go into that a little bit because I know mm -hmm. it's something that you and I are both passionate about yeah. is mm -hmm. being imperfect, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. You know, leaning into our, like, like I, um, first I'll say this out loud and I'm going to duck so nobody out there is throwing stones or apples at me. 
I think as orthodontists, we take ourselves way too seriously. Yeah, totally. We are, we are not cancer surgeons. Mm -hmm. We are not um, trauma surgeons, right? People don't die when we make a mistake. People yeah. don't even notice it. 90, 95, I mean, at-home aligners would illustrate the fact that what we do for a living has a huge margin for error. And I think sometimes we're our own worst enemies, right? We, we take things so seriously and, and everything has to be perfect. And, you know, look at my final, like you're really good at posting your final cases. You'll mm -hmm. show all time. I'm looking at your Instagram and all day long, there's case after case after case, yep. and you're mm -hmm. putting yourself out there and I yep. love them. And there's always inevitably going to be that one person who goes, yeah, but that, that upper one is off by two degrees. Yeah. Look mm -hmm. at I was like, come on, give it a break. Yep. And, yep. you know, I learn much more from my mistakes than I do my successes. So I want to talk, I want you to talk a little bit, because I know it's a passion project, yeah. so to speak, mm -hmm. of yours, of, of embracing our imperfections, of leaning into trying to get better and, and embracing that stuff. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this has been a journey for me. And I'll just be completely honest in saying that, you know, when I started, uh, you know, in Dr. Frost's practice with, you know, arguably one of the best clinicians in the world for, for decades, um, those are big shoes to fill. And I felt yeah. like the tiniest little bug on the floor, uh, trying to be him, to be honest with you. I mean, really my goal every day was I have to be Dr. Frost. And every day I would think, you know, I'm being compared to him, so to speak with patients or whatnot and results. And I need to be able to deliver the same thing. And it took me a long time. And it's still going through that journey to understand that, I can be my own person and I can have my own strengths that we can complement one each, uh, each other better as a partnership when we each are our true selves and we bring our true selves to the practice because we relate and connect with patients differently. And we provide, we each have our own strengths and weaknesses. And the more we can lean into who we are and being the best version of ourselves, then the better the outcomes are, both from an experience perspective with the patients, from an experienced perspective with the team and the culture of the practice. And then of course, even with the results of the cases, as we look at things different and, but that whole process takes, it takes energy. It's like anything in life. You know, if we want to be great, we have to put forth great effort. And we talked about this in the last podcast. It's, it's not enough just to show up and, and be the orthodontist. And, and you mentioned that many times we take ourselves too seriously. And I think that's a good thing and a bad thing. You know, I think that in, in a way it's a great thing because we take our job very serious. And yes, there are some people that I think we can make a tremendous impact on and we, we don't realize the capability that we do have to change their lives. And on the other end, yes, you know, sometimes taking ourselves too seriously can, can impact us negatively, uh, in our lives and the way that we think and feel about ourselves because, you know, there is no perfect case. There's no such thing as a perfect case. And, we know that. And the more that we look and study at our cases, the more we see our imperfections and we can take those maybe too seriously as well and feel negatively about ourselves if we're not producing the exact results we're looking for when we compare ourselves to other orthodontists, for example. And really what it comes down to is being the best version of ourselves and just giving forth our best effort, making and keeping commitments and promises to ourselves and, and being uh, full of passion and and trying our best that will really yield us to being our best self. That's awesome, man. It's so much, again, there's so much in there. D curious, um, because I went through this when I was a young, younger associate in a practice uh, about three years out of, out of dental school, when I left my dad's practice and went out kind of on my own. 
Did you ever have patients refuse to see you because they wanted to see the original doctor? All the time, all the time. And that was really hard for me in the beginning because I felt uh, I made it too much about myself in the beginning. And what I mean by that was I wanted to prove myself or I wanted to earn, you know, their love and respect as I gave myself freely. And I was there with my arms open, my heart open to give these patients, you know, uh, uh, of myself hundred percent. But I I realized over time and and that still happens by the way. um, But I realized over time that it's not about me. It's about the patient getting what they want and need. And that's the most important thing for the practice really is having the patients really get what they want and need. And it, it doesn't affect me as much as it used to, but at first it did. And I thought, oh shoot, that's a reflection on me. I'm not good enough, you know? And now I realize, you know, it, it's not about me. It's about the patient getting what they want. And I'm, I can be okay with that. And I can still give as much as I can to the other patients. And if, if the one patient, you know, if they don't want to see me, that's okay. It's not about me. It's not a reflection on me not being a good enough orthodontist. Right. Exactly. It's that Stu's a great orthodontist and exactly. they, and that's okay. You know, they want to, to be connected that way. And I'm okay with that now. Mm-hmm. And it's, and I think it's important for people, especially younger docs out there who are going to go into practices, whether it's with somebody with lots of notoriety, like, like Stu, sorry, Dr. Frost. Yes. I know mm-hmm. <laughs> either, either they're going to go in with Dr. Frost or they're going to go in with somebody who could just be a great orthodontist or even a not so great orthodontist who's been around for 20, 25, 30 years. And just because someone does, and by the way, I don't believe there's anything that the original doctor can do. Like you said, it's about the patient. I don't think there's anything the original doc can do to quell that desire other than, you know, we'll talk more about that in a second, but what's important to keep in mind. And if you're a younger doc out there or you're associating with a practice, um, my feeling is, just because someone doesn't want to see you doesn't mean they don't want to see you. What Correct. it means is they just want to see the other person. There's a yeah. big difference between not liking you and liking somebody more, right? And I think yep. it's important for us to recognize they probably like you. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. not that they dislike you. It's not like they don't want to see you. It's that they want to see the other person. It's kind of like, you know, there's chocolate and vanilla. You may love chocolate. You may like vanilla. Given the choice between the two, you'll take one over the other. It doesn't mean that you hate the other one. It just means you like one more. And I think it's important for people to recognize it's not rejection, right? It's not that you're being rejected. It's that now there are people out there who, when I first started, would say to the staff, I don't ever want to see him, right? That's that's outright rejection. Yeah. Um, and you learn to cope with that. But for most people, I think you just have to accept the fact that that just because someone doesn't want to see you doesn't mean that they don't want to see you. It's that they're opting to see the other. Do you agree with that? hundred percent agree with that. And I think it's a journey, you know, and with some of the patients too, I think you can relate and understand to them and saying, you know, we, we have a, a heavy adult patient percentage in our practice. And, you know, if, if Sally comes to the practice and she's been in treatment for a year and she's a 35 year old female and she doesn't want to embrace as a day longer than she has to be. You know, and she's been in with treatment with Dr. Frost for a year and this new doc comes in, she wants to get her dang braces off and have it be amazing as soon as possible, you know, and she knows there's consistency there. So some of it, again, is is just things that you can't control. And it's been very interesting because now we have an associate, right? And so now I'm seeing the other end of this where now there's, you know, there's lots of Dr. Nichols patients and we have our our new associate, Dr. Hansen with us, who's amazing. 
And I'm watching him go through this process and I'm seeing how it affects him emotionally and how it affects his self-confidence. And I'm able to relate a little bit and uh, empathize with him and also realize there are some things that you can do. There are some things that he can do, even though he's not going to be seeing that patient clinically, right? Being out on the floor and working with patients, right? Working with families and interacting with families, showing them your passion, who you are, showing them that you care about them, even though you're not seeing them that day. And if you have the opportunity, maybe to see the patient that day, you know, then it's like this, you know, Hey, Sally, thank you so much for allowing me to participate in your care today. Dr. Frost is doing such a great job. I'm I'm grateful to have added a little bit to your journey and we can't wait to see you next time. You know, just talking, interacting with there's, there's ways that you can still uh, feel like you're adding value without having to even see them clinically that I think do over time, they make an impact in the practice and community. And it's doing those things repetitively over time to help you. And you know, that the older doctor that's been there is they've earned their place and it's time for you to earn your place. And that takes time. Exactly. And that's important. Okay. So last year we had over 500 orthodontists at Orthopreneur's Summit and everyone to a person said it was the best orthodontic meeting they'd ever been to. Now, if you're not signed up, it's going to sell out. So please go to opsummit2022.com right now, sign up. I promise this will be the best ortho meeting you've ever been to in your life, or you let me know and I will pay to send you back to the airport in a limousine and pay for your return flight. No questions asked. I've offered that a ton. Nobody's ever taken me up on it. You know why? Because it's going to be the best ortho meeting you've ever been to. OPSummit2022.com. Hope to see you there. Anybody watching can see his shirt. It says Frost Nichols Orthodontics. So first of all, congratulations. Thank you so for, much. You know, it's no longer Frost Orthodontics. Thank it's you. Frost Nichols Orthodontics. Thank you. Uh, so kudos to you. But but for everybody out there who doesn't know, when we brought in the fabulous Dr. Michael Rasmussen into our practices, I called Trevor. Yep. Remember, I reached mm-hmm. out to you and I said, mm-hmm. you know, how, what is the right way to bring someone into the practice? And again, yeah. y- you might have your way of doing things in your practice out there, but there are people who've come down this path before. And let me tell you, folks, if you're Trevor Nichols coming into Stuart Frost's practice, that is not an easy practice to come into. There is an expectation. Uh, if you haven't been to their in-office course, you need to, uh, because you'll get to interact with the team and see real patients treated. And let me tell you, um, we have three practices. The one I work uh, is arguably the highest maintenance patients there are. You got to be on your A game all day long. That's right. When I walked into your practice, I was like, oof. You got to be on your A game. You ain't gonna your B and C game ain't gonna fly here. That's right. You're having a tough day. Those moms and those patients, they're not gonna put up with it in your location. And so it's a it's a tough place for people to practice. And I I was just so impressed by how by how you did it. And so I want to go through a couple of of things that we talked about. I remember you said something really important to me, which was never ever refer to your associate as an associate in front of patients. That, right? I think you told me call them your partner right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so from day one, they don't care. People don't care if the person working in your office is your associate by law, your partner by law. They don't care. They just want to know that there's an attachment there. And if the person's there to stay, it doesn't hurt anybody to to say, hey, have you met my partner, Trevor Nichols? Can I introduce you to Dr. Nichols? He's a great guy. He's my partner. Come on over. They're not going to say, is he a 30% partner? Yeah, is he a, yeah, yeah. They just, they want to know that there's an emotional investment there. That was yes. great advice. And it played a huge role from day one. 
What other advice would you offer people out there for a success? You already mentioned one that the associate sh- should be out there on the on the floor, working the room for lack of a better description, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And if you mm-hmm. don't have people skills, folks, fake it till you make it, Seriously. okay? Seriously. So on the first half, I want you to talk about some of the secrets or tips from the doctor's perspective, the, the principal doctor. And then I want to flip it around the other way or what are some of the suggestions you'd make from the associate perspective? So let's start first with the uh, with the principal doctor. What, what are some of the suggestions you'd make? Yeah, so for the principal doctor, the first you mentioned is, is especially in front of patients, adding value to your the doctor that you're working with is really, really big. And the patients know you as the owner doctor, the, the father doctor, let's say, in the practice, and your words are gold. So... The staff can say lots of things. The team can say, oh, you know, Dr. Rasmussen is such a great orthodontist. We can't wait for you to meet him. But for you to say it means something different to the patients. And I think it's really important in working with any team environment, whether it be working with your clinical staff, but more importantly, working with another doctor in the practice. If you're team treating cases and you're Dr. Krieger and you sit down to the case and you look and you see, you know, that Sally saw Dr. Rasmussen last visit, the first thing you can say to the patient is, Hey, Sally, I know you saw Dr. Rasmussen last visit. He did such a great job. He did such a great job. And I'm going to look at your case today and we're going to take another step further. It's looking beautiful. This is what we're going to do today. And those words will mean a lot to the patients, reinforcing what's great about that doctor. It may be something small, but reinforcing that treatment, whatever they did last visit, because the patients don't know. If you made a step in, they may see a tooth that's moved, but generally they don't know what's going on, you know? So you telling them that he did a great job will mean a great deal. Right. The other part that's been really great for us that we've worked tough on and worked a lot on is, you know, having some mentor-mentee relationships and discussing cases, you know, uh, taking photographs and discussing treatment plans every single day. And for the, the older doctor, right, to review some things that they may have seen with a younger doctor that could be done differently or were done excellent also will go a long way in fostering that great relationship. Uh, and doing that in front of the team, I think is also very important because you need that new doctor uh, to have trust you know, from the entire team because the more trust that you can relay in front of everybody, again, being as vocal as you can about the new doctor to the team and to the patients, the more that will be fostered. And when you talked about you know, name changes and things like that, really what it comes down to, again, is the patient and their experience. And again, it doesn't matter if their partner associate, how much of the partnership or associate they are, you want the patient. What's best for the practice is for them to have faith in your associate or partner, whoever it may be. And you have to make that happen. It's a conscious effort as the owner doctor or father doctor to make that happen. Yeah. And then vice versa on the younger doctor side, it's, it's doing this very similar things, right? It's learning from the older doctor, asking questions consistently, studying cases every single day, older cases that have been done and cases that are currently in treatment, writing patients' names down. You know, when I first started in the practice and there were days that I was there that Stu wasn't, you know, Dr. Frost initially, even from the get-go. And so I would write patients' names down if there were questions that I had and we would review them, you know, and we would build that trust together and learn together. But working the room is really big, working the community, calling, referring doctors, making visits, all the things that we know we should be doing, but doing them with intention and acting like it's your practice, whether it is or isn't. If you're in the practice, whether you own a percent of that practice or not, if you are the new doctor, 
you make it your practice. You pretend like it is yours or you act like it is yours. You want it to grow like it's yours. You treat the patients like they're yours because they are your patients. And the more you can treat it like yours, like you have value there, then the more the owner doctor will see that, the more value you will bring and the better the relationship between you and patients, the better it will go. Yeah, totally true. Comment and question. You said something, I, again, like I said, if, for everybody out there, if you're going to bring an associate into your practice, contact somebody whose relationship you know to be a good one and ask them their opinion on how to do this, yeah, right? Idea. Like, like I didn't just contact Trevor because he and Dr. Well, I'm calling him Stu. I'm sorry. I can't help, <laughs> I can't help myself. <laughs> but I contacted Trevor because he, he's somebody I respect. He's somebody I know. We are friends. It's not like some Instagram, wow, they look like they're happy. Because I got to be honest, folks, I don't want to break the news to everybody out there, but what you see on social media may not be 100% true. I know it's going to blow people's minds, but I know that that Stu and Trevor actually have this incredible practice with incredible relationship and, and very, very like-minded values. And that's why I reached out to you, Trevor, to find out what your thoughts were. So first rule of thumb, if there's somebody out there you know personally who brought an associate in that you really felt worked out well, reach out to them, ask them what their suggestions are, right? Um, number two, you said something that I, I, I still remember our conversation, right? It's been over a year and I still remember every word you said to me, but I giggle at one of them because you, you didn't mention it. It's when they sit down at the chair, have them say something that you agree with. Yes. Right? Yes. You remember yes. that? <laughs> Thank you for reminding me. That's great. Yes. We, do you want to talk about that? Because we did it. <laughs> we did it. And it's so funny because it's like that scene with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in You Catch Me If You Can. Mm -hmm. um, doctor, do you concur? I concur. Right? Yes. So talk about it a little bit because it's, it, if done, it's, it can be really funny inside, but it means a lot to patients. It does. Yeah. They want to know you're on common ground. If, if you team treat like we do in the practice, we don't, for 99% for of patients, we all will see the patients together. And I think in most practices where there's multiple doctors, that's the way it's done. So especially if you have a practice that's that way, right? Having common ground amongst those patients and sitting down at the chair and yes, and saying, oh, this is looking really great. You know, well, Dr. Frost, I, I think that that upper right lateral needs a little buckle crown torque. Did you agree with that? Oh, yeah. Yes, I agree. Finding some common ground. The fact that you're agreeing on things says, hey, guess what? We think the same, right? We have the same eye. We think the same. And we're going to produce similar or same results because our minds work the same. I'm just laughing out loud because <laughs> you just used a really, really in-depth de description. Yes. Because <laughs> at times it was... Do you think we should continue class two elastics? Yeah. Yes. 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 I do. It could be that great simple. idea. Yes. I love the way I love the way you're thinking. That's yes. a great idea. Mm -hmm. And and it's really funny because the patient has no idea. You're not, and I think it's important to recognize that both Trevor and myself are very honest people. Yeah. Right. We don't mm -hmm. want to lie, deceive. But if you truly believe that this is the right wire to stay in, right? Dr. Krieger, I think that we should probably stay in this 016 wire for one more visit. What do you think? And I'd be like, you know, you're right on the money, Dr. Asmus, and that's exactly what we should do. High five, right? Yes. It's, it's theatrics. It's so smart. Yeah. It's not mm -hmm. deception. Yes. Um, no. but, but in the eye of the patient, it solidifies the decision that you as the principal doctor made, which is, 
I trust them, you trust them. And it's those little things, which I know it sounds so funny because you're talking about like buckle torque. And I'm like, yeah. we weren't even talking about <laughs> torque. We would, you know, if he said to me, Dr. Krieger, I think we should have more torque. I would go, you want me to twerk? Like I would, <laughs> like I would say something like that and they'd giggle, they'd laugh, right? But, but yeah, it's just re agreeing on those sorts of things is key. And the, the only other thing I want to talk about, because we always record these ahead of time and then they're post-produced. Today, um, I just posted on the, our, our Five Minute Friday podcast. Um, I talk about what I call the purple velvet suit syndrome. I've talked about it a couple of times in the past, and this goes back about 20 minutes ago when you talked about culture and, you know, you have to bring your own culture in. And I think it's very important that the associate who hopefully will one day become a bigger part of the practice, they need to bring their own culture into the practice. Don't try. You are not Stu Frost. Right. And when you're in the practice, you are not trying to be Stu Frost. You right. are Trevor Nichols, skinny pants, skinny yep. jeans and all, <laughs> Right. Yes. Get, I want you to get Dr. Frost into a pair of a skinny There we jeans. go. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah, I want to see him walk like Gumby the whole day. <laughs> um, but, but the goal is not to become a clone or to make a clone. And I tell a story that will always be with me the rest of my life. And I think it helps a lot of people to understand it is I used to have a patient who was this tall, good looking guy, thin as a rail from England. And he was a legitimate front man for a rock band like legitimate. His appointments were never before noon because he was up all night long partying. He always came to his appointment with this spectacular girlfriend of his. Um, you know, just, he was like, he was like Adam Levine, if Adam Levine were English, right? Mm -hmm. Like just had that rock star frontman vibe. And one time he showed up in a crushed purple velvet suit. It had a, I still remember it had a black liner to it. Um, he probably was wearing a t-shirt or something. I don't even remember, but it was like this killer suit, like super tight, right? And I was like, damn, I love that suit. But it wasn't who I was, right? It was a dream of, of a, a persona. And if I'd worn the purple suit, you could make the argument at the time, oh, Glenn, you could have pulled that off. Just get in that frame of mind. It would have been fine. And I probably could have. If I was going to Vegas, nobody knew who I was, and I wanted to take on an alter ego, sure, the purple suit would fit me. But if I wore that suit to my friend's house, where all my buddies who knew me for 40 years were, they'd laugh me out of the room because it's not who I was. It was cool. It was awesome. I wanted to be that guy, but I'm not the front man for a rock band. I am not, you know, English. I am not this probably have no plans after today for what my life is going to be. And it fit his persona. And for me to wear that suit, I could have tried it, but it never would have really been who I was. And I think there's less than I took away from that. And I call it the purple velvet suit syndrome mm -hmm. is you go to AAO, you go to orthopreneurs, you go to mother of pearls conferences, you go to all these things and you get these great pearls and tips and tricks of the way people are doing their offices. And then you bring it back to your office and all you've got is a $600 purple suit you bought that is not who you are. And you wonder, why did I, why did I do this? And I think it's important for you to get great ideas, digest it, and then go, wait a minute, great idea for that person, not necessarily great idea for me. And I think when you become an associate, it's important to look at the practice. I think, I think I'm going to say it out loud. I think it's incumbent for the associate to take on whatever clinical system the principal doctor wants them to take on. 
If you're used to repositioning, but the doctor wants you bending wire, you better learn how to bend wire. Um, You know, if you're a twin and they're passive self-ligating, you're going to use passive self-ligating, right? Don't ask them to start going back to twin. But I think it's super important for you to recognize the cultural components that fit them and don't fit you and what you can kind of add to the repertoire, if that makes sense. Does, Does that make sense to you? 100%. I think that is a wonderful lesson. And I love the way the analogy is perfect. I love that one. It's amazing. I still dream of that purple suit. (laughs) (laughs) I still, I still dream of one every, I mean, I don't know every guy, but like all of us want to be Adam Levine on stage, tatted up full sleeve, you know, just singing to the crowd, people going crazy, Yep. but we chose orthodontics. Yeah. Unless you're like, you know, uh, people from relapse who chose both. Yeah. But for the most part, you know, be mindful of what your culture is. And if you're still figuring it out, just follow your heart. You yeah. know, your heart's going to tell you what's right and what's not right, just like it does when you post on Instagram, just like it does. Like I see doctors who are trying to do dances on TikTok and it's not their thing. And it's so crystal clear that yeah. it's not. And for me, I will tell dad jokes all day long because it's who I am and people laugh or roll their eyes and I'm okay with it because it's who I am. That's right. But if Michael Rasmussen, you know, he starts coming out in a purple velvet suit, we're going to have a talk because it's just not, God bless you, Michael. Love you to death, brother, but <laughs> you're not the purple suit dude either. We got to wallow in our misery together. And so um, I want to talk about something else as we, as we pivot from associateships and, and partnerships. One of the things, if, if people don't know you, that's important in your life is fitness, mm-hmm. nutrition, taking care of yourself. And you've, I know you've got some great ideas. I, I don't want this to be about how big are our biceps because, you know, we all know that, you know, there's no comparison. Yours are huge. No. I, I don't even want to discuss that. If, if you guys are listening to this, there's no comparison between Trevor and myself when it comes to going to the gym. And that's true. There really is no comparison. Um, but you said something to me at one time that was brilliant, which is your, your, your take on what your mindset is when you go to the gym. Yeah. And, um, Everybody who sees you on Instagram, you know, guys and gals, first thing they notice, obviously, is a guy who's really in great shape. Um, talk a little bit about what your philosophy is, because I think that's more important than the actual result in this case. Yeah, I think, you know, it's a, it's about part of who I am. You know, so much in life we can't control. And for me, this is something I can control that I'm passionate about and I want to put forth effort. But one of the things we had talked about, and, and I really believe that the way you do anything is the way you do everything. Right there is the title of this podcast episode. Love it. The there way you do anything is the way, way you, do, you everything. do everything. I love that. So when I show up for the gym, right, it's about maximum effort. There's no secret. There's no secret workout. There's no Oh, I'm going to, you know, do this type of squat or curl or we're all there. The the equipment's the same. You see the guys that are massive and have huge biceps and all the things that are jacked, right? And they're they're using the same equipment as the guy who maybe isn't as in good shape, right? And it's not that there's a secret, it's about effort. And I think it's the same when it comes to all aspects of our life. It's about the effort that we put in. And what I'd mentioned to you was that putting forth the maximum effort is really my goal going to the gym. If I'm looking at a set and I'm going to do four sets of 10, right? I'm not going to just do four sets of 10. I'm going to do five sets of 11, right? Because I want to give maximum effort. And that's the way I like to start my day. 
because I know that if I can show up and give a maximum effort in the gym, something I can control, then I can go to the office and also give my maximum effort. I look at it as like I'm playing in, you know, in the, the Super Bowl, right? And I'm the quarterback and each case that I go to see is a play. And I, I take it with that much intention and it's putting forth the maximum effort. There's no secret pills. There's no secret this or that. It's This is something that we all know and it's putting forth the maximum effort and discipline to get the results consistent over time that yield the type of person that we want to become. And I thought I was intense, dude. Um, <laughs> but so, so tell me, yeah. mm-hmm. are there days where Trevor Nichols wakes up in the morning at what time you wake up? Remind me again, what time you wake up to work? Usually four twenty, four thirty. Yep. Right. I thought it was mm-hmm. earlier. I thought when I visited one time, you were getting up earlier than that. It was back when, but right now I'm about four thirty. When mm-hmm. what? What did it used to be? I want people. You about four? It was about four. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was. I for some reason I thought it was like two thirty or three o'clock. Oh morning. no, not quite that early. I think not that's Mark that Wahlberg. Yeah, it probably Wahlberg, is. I know yeah. he is. I think mm-hmm. Mark Wahlberg goes to sleep at like eight thirty or nine o'clock, something like that, and wakes or six thirty and wakes up at two thirty in the morning. His his regimen is incredible. Yeah. And, but are there days, there have to be days, where Trevor Nichols wakes up at 4 a.m., 4.20, 4.30, he's tired, he's not feeling great, he's going to go to the gym, and he's like, yeah, I'm going to put my workout in today, and I'm just going to do what I can do, and you know, today's not a maximum effort kind of day. Or do you somehow do that shift in your head where, yeah, I'm not feeling great, but it's maximum effort. We are going... <laughs> This is happening. Get on the bus, brother, because yeah. maximum effort is our destination. Does that, ha- or, or are there days where you go and you're like, oh, I'm just not able to get this out today. I'm doing my best, but my best is good enough today. I just, that's yeah. my maximum effort. So that's a great question. And I would say the first, there are days I wake up and feel that way, right? I wake up and say, oh my gosh, I'm burnt. I, I, I spent the mineral oil last night working on this or that, this case or this write-up. And I wake up and say, oh my gosh, today, can I can I give maximum effort? And the first part of that is what we call the art of showing up, right? It's showing up. It's walking through the doors of that gym. Once I'm there, I have reminders. And I think we all need daily reminders, mindset shifts or reminders for us to turn on our intentionality, whether it be a picture on our phone, or a tattoo on our arm like Ryan Holiday, right? What it like that says, you know, that, you know, ego is the enemy or whatever it may be, you know, the obstacle is the way we have, we need these reminders. So when I, some days there are days I wake up and it's about just the art of showing up and getting my butt in the gym. But once I'm there, I have my reminders. I put on my podcast, I do my thing and I jump in the sauna. I meditate for five minutes. That's my preparation mode where I'm telling myself, this is it. It's time for maximum effort. So once I start that workout, it's maximum effort every day, but I have to prepare myself for that mentally. And some days that mental preparation takes more effort than others. Yeah. Again, I, I also think it gets a little tougher as you get older. Like I find that those days are tougher and tougher for me in my mid fifties now. Yeah. You know, I get up every morning, sometimes not feeling like P Diddy. Um, you know, I, I, (laughs) I'll wake up in the morning and I'll come upstairs to my gym and, you know, I take my pre-workout, start getting ready. And I'm like, gosh, today's just, I'm trying, man. I'm slogging. But there's that great scene from an older movie with the Kevin Costner, which I always remember. Um, it's called For Love of the Game, where he's a baseball player on the yeah. tail end of his mm-hmm. career. Mm-hmm. And the crowd's going crazy and he's trying to lock in. He's a pitcher. He's trying to lock in on on the catcher's mitt and he's having a hard time. 
And I think he says something like, lock the mechanism. And all of a sudden, everything blocks out and all he sees is a tunnel right to the catcher's mitt. And and I always remember that because like these pictures help me along a lot. And that idea of practicing this, just like you go to the gym, you got to practice this mental shift, right? It just doesn't it's hard happen. Too. It is hard some days. It is. Yeah. You know, and, and I got to be honest, if I'm not feeling well, if I'm sick, yeah, it's hard. Like, yeah. it's and, and again, if, if, there's lots of people out there you can talk to who say, just get a workout and just show up and do it. And it, because here's what I want you to reconcile for me, right? Because mm -hmm. now you've already created a bit of a paradox for anybody listening. Yeah. The first paradox is do anything like you do everything, right? Like, like maximum effort. And the other is it's okay not to be perfect. Yeah. How yeah. do you reconcile the dude, I'm in the gym. I'm not hundred percent, but now I'm pulling out maximum effort. It's, it's going to happen five sets of 11 instead of four sets of 10. And you start going through your workout and it's hard and you're yeah. not, it's not necessarily maximum effort. Is there a point at which you go, you know what, man, this is totally okay. Right. Yeah. Like, how do you reconcile I, yeah. that in your head? Yeah. The, I need to be maximum effort and I can also be imperfect because it's a paradox. Yeah, I would say perfect is different for everybody and it's different every day, right? It's different every day, different for every case that we see, right? right. And perfect is never really the goal. The goal right. is never perfection. And, and you know that, but it was a bad, um, it was a bad choice. No, 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 no. And that's, no, it's, it's fair because that's the word that people use, right? But I think there it's, it's just about the effort of the day. Really, it's about the maximum effort and the maximum effort for that day may not be the same as the maximum effort for the next day or the maximum effort for that case may be different because the, the patient has some anxieties and there may be things that you would like to do that you can't do, right? But it's like that at the gym. The maximum effort may change day to day, but what is your maximum effort for that day? It may be half of what the maximum effort was the day before, but it's that I'm giving, I'm giving a maximum effort, even though that may not be perfection. It may not be what it was yesterday, but if I can give maximum effort for what it is today, even if that is, like you said, showing up, if that's my maximum effort for the day, then I can leave the gym saying, okay, I did my best at the gym today, and now I can start my day knowing that I've accomplished something hard and I can roll into the next thing and give my maximum effort for that day. But it is hard, and I do struggle with, with things, right? And there are days that it's harder than others, but it's about trying to show up and give my maximum effort every day that makes me feel fulfilled at the end of the day. Yeah, and I think I just came up with a new name for this podcast. It's Because I love what you said before about the way you do anything is the way you do everything. Yeah. But really... I think the way you reconcile it is there are no shortcuts, mm -hmm. right? Like as so long good. as you're not yeah. taking a shortcut, I get a sense like you're okay with it. Like, yeah. you know, you're doing the best you can. And as long as you didn't say, well, I was going to do four sets of 10. I'm not really feeling it today. I'm just going to call it quits after two sets. I don't see that happening, but I see you pushing through four sets and saying, I didn't take any shortcuts, but this is as good as I got today, man. No shortcuts. And would you agree with that, that, you know, your life is really about, there are no quick answers. There is no pill that's going to give you pecs, right. right? There's no special diet that if you just eat that diet, you're suddenly going to be shredded. There's, there are just, there's no one system that's going to give you consistent results all the time if you don't put the effort in yourself, right? There's just no shortcuts. No shortcuts. I, I think that is really the key. And, you know, it's the same way about being a great orthodontist. 
you know, whatever you consider a great orthodontist to be, whether that's one that connects amazing with their patients or produces great clinical results, whatever that means to you, it's the same thing. It's about not taking shortcuts. I love the way that you said that. And I appreciate that. Yeah, that's wonderful. Because that's what everything about you screams that because as I'm listening to you talk about, you know, maximum effort and it's okay not to be perfect. The way I reconcile that in my own life is whatever result I get, I'm okay with, but don't take the shortcut. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, yeah. it doesn't matter where you end up. It's the process of getting there so that I didn't feel good. I wasn't a hundred percent, but I got my, I did whatever I had to do. And tomorrow I'll remember that. And then maybe I'll do better tomorrow, but yeah. you know, and, and so here's a quick question for you. I got to mm -hmm. ask you this because I know half the people listening are doing this and then we're running out of time, but I had to ask this before we were done. Yeah. yeah. What is the secret to the, and, and don't just tell me the Damon system. Okay. Sure, Cause sure. I know better. Cause I've been in your office. Yes. Cause the Damon system <laughs> is just to be crystal clear. I have no yeah. financial interest with, yes. you know, the Damon system in any way or I'm of any kind. I'm not a KOL for them, but I do think that passive self ligating is a very important part of how you guys practice and how you get the results you do because anybody who looks at your results in the office in person or online sees one characteristic um which is just a gorgeous wide smile and yeah. everybody i know who doesn't learn from you asks to say how do they get these gorgeous smiles and this is a plug for you you guys you got to sign up for their in office course which, by the way, if they wanted to, where do they go? Do you know where Fro they go? Frostsmileacademy.com. Mm -hmm. Frostsmileacademy.com. Frost That's right. Mm -hmm. um, I've done there. I've done it twice. It's worth going to people from bracket placement. And whether you're passive self-like getting or not, it doesn't matter. The principles you're going to get are going to take you through this. But how do you get that gorgeous wide smile? What is the trick in the steel wire that you do? Because... <laughs> Lord knows I've still not mastered that. Yes. So really the key there, regardless of system, as you mentioned, is spending a good amount of time in the stainless steel wires. I'm talking four to six months developing the transverse dimension. So it's taking your stainless steel wire, looking at the patient, right? And their transverse dimension, how much arch width do they need? And when I mean arch width, I'm saying, look at the inclination of posterior teeth right? Are they lingualized, right? We're trying to just upright posterior teeth. We're not trying to move teeth outside of bone, which is a, a, a misconception, right? We're trying to upright posterior teeth. So we need to look at that and say, okay, there's ways to do that. We can either build in torque to the posterior, or we can simply take our stainless steel wire and we can broaden it. We're broadening it every time the patient comes in. And the, the degree to how much we widen it is dependent upon how much that patient needs. How much do the teeth need to upright? There may be some wires that are this big, you know, they're and like for straight. Those who, for those of you who aren't uh, sitting here looking at it, you're listening to it. I'm telling you, I've seen them as wide as yeah. tuna cans. That's right. That's right. right. And some is, cases need that. And they need it for six months for you to get that posterior arch development. And in other cases, you don't need it that long. But it's it's like you need to really look and identify the case. Again, no shortcuts there. We're looking to say, okay, how much time do we need to develop the posterior based on where they are? We widen the arch wire. We have them come back every month, right? And we're continuing to widen that wire until we see the posterior teeth start to upright. Are you looking at a, a sort of a frontal view of the CBCT of the lower teeth? So you're basically essentially leveling your curve of Wilson mm -hmm. as much as you can. That's right. Building your upper to match that. That's right. right. That's right. And you start your step outs 
mm-hmm. mesial to the upper cuspids, correct? That's right. That's right. Yeah. See, I listened. I swear this I listened. This is good. I then swear. Three I, to three is coordinated, people. and then it's it's wide. It's wide in the posterior, and that's dependent on the case of how much what they need. Yeah, mm-hmm. you're just you're uprighting the lower teeth into the alveolar housing, and then having right. the upper teeth match it. Mm-hmm. And so, um, do you track your average treatment time from beginning yes. to end? Absolutely. How long is how long is your average treatment time? Average treatment time for us right now, and we've we've uh, since we've switched to the Ultima bracket, it's gone down significantly. But we're about twenty months of treatment time for average case, right. uh, narrowing down now to about eighteen months with a typical case. Eighteen months is really our goal, and that's what we've been getting the last year since we've been using the Ultima bracket. Right, eighteen months. Mm-hmm. So, so you're getting that eighteen months, which means you're getting into a steel wire at about a year. Uh, even less than that. So our really our goal now is if we can spend at least six months in stainless steel, that's the goal. But really what we're trying to do is get into stainless steel by month six in most cases. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you're much, so again, your practice is all about bracket placement, Correct. right? Yep. So my guess is you're doing more bends than you are repositions. That was the older thought. And, and with the Q2 bracket, we had to because there was so much play in the bracket. We were having to bend a lot of wire because even if the bracket was in the perfect spot, because of slop there, we were having to bend more wire, torque, tip, all degrees, right? First order, second, and third. With Ultima, we are repositioning more because the tolerances are tighter. Got so it. if we find there's a vertical discrepancy, we're repositioning that earlier. And if there's a third order torque discrepancy, we're repositioning that a little bit later and maybe switching the torque due to the variable torque system right. that we use. Mm-hmm. And for those out, again, um, no financial interest in your course whatsoever. want to disclose that. Uh, but you need to take this course. I know, I think um, I think we're coming out, Orthopreneurs RD, I think has a, a, something with, with Dr. Frost. Uh, yes. Later, the, the, yes. I think next March or so, we're coming out mm-hmm. as a group. And it'll be my third or fourth time being at the office just to learn. Um, I'm just telling everybody out there, I don't care what bracket system you're using, twin, self-ligating, doesn't matter. The tips you're going to learn from a cultural perspective for the team, um, just everything from top to bottom, it's probably one of the most complete courses I've ever been to. Um, and just watching the six-handed bracket placement. Yeah, it's cool. I, I don't ha- I got to be honest. I don't have enough people in my office yeah. to be able to do it because you really need to have enough people to spare that extra assistant. But I remember I came back from the course and I did it on like a half a dozen patients. Mm-hmm. My bracket placement was dead on. Yeah, dead see? on. Mm-hmm. Dead on. Mm-hmm. And when I do it, when I sit down on an arch and the whole quadrant or arch is on already and I'm just positioning it, I got to be honest, my placement is mediocre at best and I reposition a lot of brackets and that's something I have to work on a great deal. But but when this whole entire workplace thing fixes itself, I am going to go back eventually. If it's not indirect bonding, it's going to be what you guys are doing because I got to tell you, when I was doing it that way, it was so clean and so perfect that the cases just flew by. And it's not a money issue. It's I can't find the help. It, we're so short-staffed on finding people. So yeah. for everybody out there, take this course, please. Thank um, you, it, it's amazing. Um, last question for you. When you're not with family, which I know means a lot to you, you have three boys, four boys? Four boys. Yep, four boys. Mm-hmm. Four boys, um, an amazing wife. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're not around your family and you're not practicing ortho and you're not speaking and you're not working out, what else is on Trevor Nichols' uh, list of joys? I'll be honest, that, that, that's my life right there. I if figured. I, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's my what, life. 
I, I needed to say, feel better I, about myself. You're saying all those things, and I'm thinking <laughs> there is nothing else that is my life, but it's a beautiful life. And I just want to say that I am so grateful, so grateful for the opportunities I've been given. I know many of them are unique and special, just like meeting you, Glenn. You've been a great mentor and uh, a great friend that I know deeply cares about me and the profession. And um, I'm just so grateful. I have such a beautiful life and I recognize that it is unique, but I also want to work as hard as I can to show my gratitude for that and to give back and to make it even better. Amen, brother. I mean, you can't finish it better than that. And, and you really truly embody the cross of life, right? That L.D. Pankey in his books years ago. And if people don't know who L.D. Pankey is, go look it up. He's a four, he's one of the forefathers of modern dentistry. Um, and he talked about keeping your, your cross of life balanced and you are, you are maximum effort in everything you do. So anybody goes, oh, he's always on the road lecturing. Yeah, but he's always in his practice focused and he's always yeah. working out, taking care of himself and eating right. And he's with family. And you, you know, you're one of those guys that when, when anybody's with you, you are with them a hundred percent. And I, and I, I really appreciate that about you, brother. And I, th Love this you, is man. one of the Thank longer, <laughs> this is one of the longer podcast episodes, but I, I hope people got a lot out of it. And I just uh, can't wait to see you whenever that is going to be next. Um, maybe Orthopreneur Summit, we're going to see yep. you. Mm -hmm. um, yep. But I'm just really looking forward to seeing you. And I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for everything you've shared today with everybody. Thank you. Thank you for everyone listening. And thank you, Glenn, for all you do for me, for the profession. I love and respect you so much. Thank you, Glenn. Thanks, brother. Likewise, back at you 100%. Thank you. Thank you.